Welcome to Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook live show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. My name is Kelsey Harkness, and I'm a senior news producer with The Daily Signal. And I'm Bree Payton, staff writer of The Federalist and friend of The Daily Signal. Today, we're covering the fallout from the U.S. Embassy relocation to Jerusalem, Democrats declaring the NRA a terrorist organization, Larry Nasser victims being honored at this year's ESPYs, and all the drama surrounding the royal wedding. But up first, Nikki Haley drops the mic at the U.N., So Nikki Haley slammed the U.N. on Tuesday for pushing for an investigation into Israel's conduct, protecting the border from Hamas insurgents and Palestinian protesters who were demonstrating in opposition to Israel's 70 years in existence. Here's a clip of Haley defending Israel's right to protect their border. They light Molotov cocktails attached to kites on fire and attempt to fly them into Israel to cause as much destruction as possible. When asked yesterday why he put a swastika on his burning kite, the terrorist responded, quote, the Jews go crazy when you mention Hitler, unquote. This is what is endangering the people of Gaza. Make no mistake, Hamas is pleased with the results from yesterday. I asked my colleagues here in the Security Council, who among us would accept this type of activity on your border. No one would. To give some context, at least 58 Palestinians died during demonstrations on Monday, which coincided with Israel's 70th anniversary and the United States' decision to relocate the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. IDF and Hamas leaders themselves say a good number of those among the dead are Hamas-aligned terrorists. So I think Nikki Haley was setting quite an example at the U.N. with these remarks. But in addition to that, after those remarks, she walked out of the chamber when a Palestinian representative began speaking. It was very subtle the way she walked out. She didn't cause a big scene, but it made a huge statement. Yeah, talk about a mic drop. (laughs) And speaking of terrorist organizations, Debbie Wasserman Schultz apparently doesn't know what one is. In an interview with the Huffington Post on Tuesday, she said the NRA is just shy of a terrorist organization. They have done everything they can to perpetuate the culture of violence that we have in our country with the spread of assault weapons across the nation. So not that I'm one to usually defend Debbie Watzerman (laughs) Schultz, but in her defense, she said this in response to a statement um, by the NRA's newly appointed president, Olive Oliver North, who was the fall guy for the Iran-Contra controversy, Um, and he said the Parkland students uh, pushing for stricter gun control legislation are engaging in civil terrorism. Uh, This is exactly what he said. Quote, they call them activists. That's what they're calling themselves. They're not activists. This is civil terrorism. So I personally think with what is going on around the world right now, with how many actual terrorists and terrorists organizations that we're dealing with, neither side should be diluting the word terrorism and equating either the NRA or the Parkland students turned activists as terrorists because um, neither one of them are. We are dealing with, uh, sadly, a lot of terrorism in the world today. um, And I think we need to take a step back and stop using language like that. Completely agree. This is embarrassing for all parties involved. 
Speaking of embarrassing, our producer, Lauren Evans, <laughs> has an opinion that is wrong, and we're about <laughs> to reveal that. So moving on to a more lighthearted subject, the internet can't decide if this audio file is saying Yanny or Laurel. Let's take a listen. Laurel. Laurel. So clearly it says Laurel. Um, I just heard Laurel again. Um, this is what I kept hearing, but interestingly enough, Lauren, our producer Lauren Evans, is not alone when she says she hears Yanny. Lauren, let's hear you defend yourself. I mean, it says Yanny. Yanny. Uh, there's no other need for defense. That, that's what it says. It's so weird that when you say Yanny like that, I hear Yanny, but it's just this actual audio clip uh, Yanny. that people are hearing different things. And in, in your defense, so I was talking about this last night over dinner with a group of friends and we were passing my phone around and, you know, I at first heard Laurel again, which is what I've been hearing this the whole time. And then I held the phone further from my ear and I heard Yanny. It was really, really weird experience, like to hear both sides, which and is something which is something that you don't hear often in politics. People hearing both sides. <laughs> that's that's, funny. that's why we need to talk about this, right? So in your defense, Lauren, the entire control room of the Fox and Friends show who debated this yesterday, <laughs> they all heard Yanny, but the like hosts of Fox and Friends heard Laurel. So maybe it's like a like host versus thing? control room. Oh. Maybe it oh, is. maybe it is an age thing. So Lauren's calling us old. Yeah, you guys are very old. We're old. old. It's my my young right. years. So as it turns out, Kelsey and I are completely correct as always because the audio file actually comes from vocabulary.com's entry for Laurel. This is where it originated from. So we're right. And we're for right. those that wah, hear wah. Yanny. You're just wrong. Let before we move on, let's just play it one more time. Laurel. Laurel. It says it almost sounds like yammy, but it's definitely it's yanny. <laughs> well, right, well, we'll I, let I, you... I think this debate is very reflective of uh of the state of our nation right now. We are a nation divided. As Jesus said two thousand years ago. <laughs> Brother will turn against brother. All right. Well, Brie, let's talk about the royal wedding. So Meghan Markle's family has been soaking up media attention this past week. As of now, her dad, Thomas Markle, says he will not attend the wedding, nor will he walk the bride-to-be down the aisle due to a heart attack he says he suffered last week. As a result of this really crazy letter that his son wrote to Prince Harry warning him not to marry Meghan, and he gave this letter um, to media to publish openly, it it sounded very crazy, um, and I just have a lot of sympathy for Meghan with all this drama leading up to her big day. So palace officials released a statement urging members of the media to give the Markle family their privacy which spurred Meghan's half-sister to clap <laughs> back yesterday and give this scathing interview with TMZ in which she says that she and her father plan to keep running their mouths and airing all of their family drama because they have the First Amendment right to do so. She also admitted to being behind her father's stage photo shoots with paparazzi photographers, which kicked off a media firestorm early this week. Okay, so this is the most recent update from the palace 
Um, according to Meghan Markle, she said, sadly, my father will not be attending our wedding. I've always cared for my father and hope he can be given the space he needs to focus on his health. I would like to thank everyone who has offered generous messages of support. Please know how much Harry and I look forward to sharing our special day with you on Saturday. I think it's interesting that she used the word sadly because this seems like such a family feud, but she's expressing some sort of sympathy and emotion towards her father not being able to attend her wedding. Um, The family sounds kind of crazy and you have to feel bad for Megan. She probably has so much on her plate right now and then dealing with a media storm surrounding uh, her family history and family drama, I imagine, is not easy. Yeah, it's probably really embarrassing, to be honest. I was talking to my dad, actually, about this the other day and updating him on all the drama, which he didn't know about. (laughs) But he did watch the Lifetime movie about uh, Meghan and Harry's romance. So he was, like, caught up, but just not caught up on the most recent drama. And, you know, he basically was like, wow, I can't believe her dad's doing that. You know, I'd never do that to you. Um, but one of my coworkers, Rachel, who's managing editor over at The Federalist, she says that uh, – so apparently Meghan Markle's dad made like $130,000 off of the photos that he staged reportedly. So she's like, you know what? If my dad could make one hundred and thirty grand <laughs> off of staging some photos of him it. pretending to work out, I'd tell him to go for it, you know? Well, so. and, and also I think we need to realize her father probably does – not know how to work with the media I think few people do um and he just likely didn't know what he was getting into when he staged these photos but it, I think the siblings getting involved has been very weird the yeah. letter the letter I would the say is the weirdest bizarre. thing it's published online you can all go read it google it you'll find it um but you know we we wish we wish Megan the best for this weekend we I'm sure we'll be talking about it more next week Yes, absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll kick it off to our next segment called This is What Feminism Looks Like. And we're back with our segment, This is What Feminism Looks Like, where we highlight positive examples of feminism. So ESPN has said that they are going to honor the women who spoke out against serial sexual abuser Larry Nassar by awarding them with the Arthur Ashe Courage Award at this year's ESPYs. So this is the same award that Caitlyn Jenner got uh, a couple of years ago, and now they've decided to award it to this very worthy cause, in my opinion. It's very important for people who have survived sexual abuse to speak out and make sure that that person is in a position where they can never abuse anyone ever again, which is exactly what happened. So the former Olympic team doctor and sports physician at Michigan State is currently serving a sentence of 40 to 175 years in prison for uh, abusing 140 girls and one boy over several decades. Michigan State continued to employ Nassar despite multiple complaints and a police investigation into his conduct. University officials finally believed the victims when media reports began recounting their stories in 2016. Yes, so I'm going to be looking forward to 
seeing what unfolds at the ESPYs this week. I'm sure these victims, now survivors, will have some powerful words to share with the world that day. Um, Another update about this story. So Michigan State University will pay $500 million to the victims of this sexual abuse. Um, There's apparently 332 claimants who say they were abused and um, $425 million of that settlement is going to these victims who already came forward. And then the university is keeping another $75 million in a reserve um, for future victims who might come forward. Uh, we don't know how exactly they're going to be distributing this, uh, the money to the victims, but simple math says each each person who came forward thus far will receive about $1.3 million each, which in the grand scheme of things, uh, I believe is well-deserved. I'm sure they had a lot of legal fees. They've had a lot of emotional um, things to grapple with. I'm sure um, they've all been having to uh, go to all sorts of doctors to deal with the trauma that they experienced. So um, I'm very happy to see some sort of justice come from this really horrific story of sexual abuse. Yeah, exactly. And also, I mean, I'm sure these victims would pay a million dollars to not have been abused, right? Like, it doesn't really fix what happened. It doesn't really, you know, undo the abuse that they suffered at his hands. But it definitely says sends a message to other universities where, hey, if you are, like, literally hiding someone who is a serial abuser, you'll have to pay out millions of dollars to all the victims. So don't do that. Yeah, I do think that's one of the most important lessons. Um, You know, this isn't just a lesson for the abuser and potential abusers out there not to do that because you will face consequences. Your your life will end. You will be behind bars um, for the rest of your life. But it's just as important for schools, universities, any institutions to understand that you cannot hide and cover up for this abuse. There needs to be a major price to be paid. I do wonder, though, universities like uh, Michigan that are so massive, how much is $500 million to them? Obviously, it's a lot of money, but when you think about how much money it costs to run these organizations, I I hope it's enough, honestly. Yeah, that's very true. And I guess what's most alarming about this whole thing is that people came forward in 1997, actually, complaining about some of his behavior, complaining about, you know, pelvic examinations and other things like that that they thought maybe weren't fully on the up and up. Uh, And the university continually, you know, said, no, it's fine. Police at one point in 20, as recently as 2014, police were looking into this and they brought him back while the police investigation was still unfolding and they hadn't determined, you know, whether or not there were criminal things. Ultimately, he was cleared um, of those charges. But I mean, I'm sorry, but if someone is being criminally investigated for sexual abuse, like maybe just let them, you know, wait it out until that's sorted out. And and this isn't just any old case of sexual harassment or abuse a lot of these girls were underage and very very young yeah it's really horrifying and awful and terrible and i think we should pray for the victims you know to get their lives back and pray for the redemption even of larry nassar amen well when we come back we'll be crowning our problematic woman of the week we're back and it's time to crown this week's problematic woman this week we decided to pick Ivanka Trump who was in Jerusalem earlier this week 
hosting slash co-hosting the inauguration of the U.S. Embassy, which just reopened in Jerusalem, which relocated from Tel Aviv on Monday, coinciding with Israel's 70th anniversary. Um, So while she was there, the New York Daily News snapped a photo and ran this crazy, crazy cover story uh, with the headline, Daddy's Little Ghoul, with a photo of her standing up in front of the relocated embassy in Jerusalem. And then they put a photo of her standing there holding a microphone in a white dress um, next to a photo of a bloody child who was reportedly hurt during clashes along the Israeli-Gaza border. So there's a number of problems with this story. Kelsey, take it away. So I think this story is, this this cover is really hypocritical because the major theme in the media since President Trump became president was, um, you know, that he's inciting hate. Well, what does this what does this magazine cover do? Um, it it is very hateful towards Ivanka. It's actually um, doing the exact thing that they claim to be fighting against. Um, I think the cover is very hateful. I think it's a very unfair characterization of Ivanka Trump as if she's somehow responsible for the lives that have been lost along the border this week. Um, or that she doesn't care about these lives. You know, the picture is Ivanka's looking very pretty, smiling. And then in the corner, you see this, you know, dead child. Um, I think that suggests that Ivanka Trump doesn't care about the lives that are lost. And I think that um, it's 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 really it's really gross. And I think it is reflective of a very sad state in our media today. Yeah. And it also kind of blames her for the lives that were lost in these really sad and tragic uh, clashes along the border, right? It says, and also this perpetuates the notion that Donald Trump's decision to relocate the U.S. embassy is somehow what caused all these clashes along the border, when in fact these protests have been unfolding for months. People have been dying for months uh, in these clashes. And, you know, nobody cared when uh, Palestinians died in Syria. There were um, dozens of, of them who died in Syria recently. They only care because this relates to Israel, and Israel is a democratic country. Yeah, and they didn't really care or cover it all that much um, when they have been dying in that same spot along the border for the past couple of months, right? That This is now just becoming a thing because they relocated the embassy, and they've tried to you know, make it all about Donald Trump's decision to do that when really it's about Israel's 70th anniversary in existence. It's about the Nakba, which means the disaster, which is what Palestinians call Israel's uh, Independence Day, Israel's time in existence. This is about that. And the embassy relocation happened to coincide with it. Um, now everyone's blaming them when in reality – you know, this is Hamas stirring up ire and sending their people to what they know could very well be a death mission. And foreign media are just lapping it up, you know, and instead of, you know, pointing out what's really going on, instead of pointing out the facts, instead of pointing out the fact that most of the people who died in the organization, Hamas themselves, says, yeah, they were aligned with us. They were one of us. Um, I think just sloppy reporting all around is 
honestly been helping Hamas's cause. Yes, and this relates back to the Nikki Haley comment that we played earlier in the show where she's saying any nation would do what Israel is um, in defending their borders. I mean, the, these these protesters and demonstrators are not peaceful. They've said they don't want to be peaceful. And can I, I think it's important for all, all of us to just imagine if this were a country like Mexico or Canada um, protesting along our border and launching these fireballs and, um, you know, using using weapons and, and lighting tires on fire, um, of course, we would be defending ourselves from that violence. I, I don't know what what else you would expect a nation to do. So I don't know why there's a different standard that Israel should be responding differently. And I don't know, just opening their borders to this type of violence and to actual terrorists to come in who terrorists who have been shouting for years, death to Israel and death to the United States. Um, I think it's always important in these kind of situations to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Imagine what the United States, what we would have to do if these types of protests were along our borders. And I think it's also important to put ourselves in the shoes of the Palestinians as well, right? Like the unemployment rate, it's one of the highest unemployment rates in the world in Gaza right now. Um, They're lacking basic necessities. Um, A lot of times they don't have electricity or running water because the Palestinian Authority refuses to pay for those services, which Israel provides. After all of these deaths and the hospitals were trying to uh, treat a number of the victims who, you know, got hurt during these clashes, Um, The Palestinian Authority actually turned away several containers of medical supplies uh, and generators to keep the hospital running because Israel sent them over. Right. So it's very clear that the Palestinian Authority, uh, that Hamas is exploiting these individuals and using them as human cannon fodder and foreign media are playing a role in that. And I think it's important to point out what's really happening and point out the fact that this really isn't anything new. Uh, It was found out a couple of years ago that Hamas insurgents frequently launched rockets into Israel on top of roofs of hospitals, on top of roofs of schools, knowing that if Israel fires back to defend itself, they're going to kill civilians. And that's the goal. They want to have as many civilian deaths as possible in order to say, look at these, you know, evil Israelis doing this to us. So I think it is important to put ourselves in all of the shoes that are all happening here and point out the fact that, you know what, playing into Hamas's agenda, not a great idea. So a lot of the Palestinians who have died, the protesters who have died, have been linked to terrorist groups. The vast majority of them have been. But the big question is, why are parents bringing children um, to this area, Um, you know, I think there is a narrative and and there is a strategy there um, that they want to use women and children as human shields. But why are why are women and why are families buying into this from their side, I think, is an important question to be asking. Um, And I don't I, I think it's really hard to understand why the press, the media is in some way legitimizing this strategy and legitimizing these demonstrations and and defending them um, because they truly are very dangerous to the people who are going there and partaking in them. If we don't want people to die, don't, don't, don't come to the border and you, and, and, and incite violence against Israel. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like a simple solution. Of course you understand you want, they can and should be able to demonstrate, but no demonstration 
um, should incite violence. Yeah. And, you know, it does speak to just the situation that Palestinians are living under in Gaza, right? The fact that so many Palestinians are willing to play along with Hamas, are buying what Hamas is selling. Uh, You know, Gazans, for the most part, aren't really allowed to leave. They're forced to stay there. And a lot of their schools have crazy propaganda that's really anti-Israel, that's really xenophobic. Um, So, you know, I think that it's just this is how it is over there, right? And this mentality is baked in with the struggle that they are experiencing on a daily basis. And I think that that's so sad that Hamas has such a chokehold over the civilians there Mm -hmm. and, you know, that they are starving them, that they are not providing basic services to them. Uh, And, you know what, they also pay out millions of dollars. Last year, I think it was like $350 million dollars Uh, in 2017 alone to reimburse and reward people who inflicted violence and terrorism upon Israelis. I did hear that about these most recent protests, too. So they are getting paid to put their lives in danger. So you're poor and starving unless you inflict violence against Israel. I mean, that is so messed up. I think we all can and should have a lot of sympathy for their situation. It is not a free country. Um, You know, Israel is a democracy right across the border, and I would hope um, that their lives would all be greatly improved if if things were ever able to change there um, and they were able to have some sort of a democratic system. But Brie, I think that wraps up our show for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. And as always, if you know a problematic woman like Ivanka Trump, please <laughs> let us know. You can follow my work on The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. And you can follow my work over at thefederalist.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Brie underscore Peyton. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and of The Federalist and is produced by the wonderful Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal, who also has very bad opinions. (laughs) (laughs) If you like this podcast, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate you sharing the podcast with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture.